is it then? A demonstration of strength. Say something. Blinking. Blinking. So, Adam, we had some comments in our past episodes about sticking the landing. We're getting close to the end here. Episode 5 has happened. Episode 6 is in a few days. We're at the end. Are they are they sticking the landing? That is a great question. Because right now, like, we just have gone off like that gymnastics horse and we are spinning wildly in the air doing more rotations than Gabby Douglas has ever done. And I'm not sure we can find the ground on this one. Like there is so much happening. I don't know if we're going to stick this landing. I hope we do, but it is, there is so much going on right now. Yes. There's, there is a lot going on. They've introduced so many different elements in storylines that I am starting to wonder if it will have a satisfying ending in the in the next episode. You know, I know we we're today we're going to be talking about Survivors of the Flux, which is episode five. So we've seen it. We have our opinions. We're going to talk about it, but that means we only have one episode left to watch. So all the mysteries that are left hanging as we talk through this episode, all kind of need to be wrapped up in one episode, uh, or maybe. Some of it gets wrapped up in one episode, and then they leave a little bit dangling for for specials. But it does feel like if if they are gonna wrap some of the stuff up, it's, it might feel a little rushed, it might feel a little unsatisfying uh, at the end. I'm I'm starting to I'm starting to get a little nervous. Not not that not that I don't think that it will be fun to watch, but I just I I, I am a little nervous for like my brain. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I don't think we are at all alone in wondering if we're going to stick the landing. Just looking at the Facebook group today, solid conversations going on. And honestly, I was on board with vast majority of what was being said because it's all very positive. Like this series has us glued uh, to, the, to the screen. We're on the edge of our seats um, it seems like vast majority of at least those that that follow our podcast uh, are a part of the Facebook group really enjoying the series. Uh, but the the idea of are we going to stick the landing? Is there going to be a satisfying conclusion? Is there going to be any conclusion at all? I'm seeing that echoed in a few different places uh, as well. I, I have some I have some thoughts as to some of this might continue on. I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping that we don't get a final episode where again, we and nothing against some of the stories that Stephen Moffat gave us, but where we just think a happy, happy thought, or we just say a magic word and poof, everything is better. It doesn't look like that's the direction we're going, but there, there's still that hesitation that that might be where we land. We will get to because I, I do feel like there's some they are setting up for maybe a quick fix, uh, based on some of the commentary of the doctor, uh, specifically talking to the Ood later on in the episode. But we'll I'll save that for kind of when we get to that point. But yeah, we'll see. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I think we I think there's a lot to talk about. 
and so we should probably just jump right into it. Let's um, do it. We're going to be reviewing Series 13, Episode 5, Survivors of the Flux. And they left us off with the Doctor being turned into a weeping angel. We got a, you know, our last episode, very weeping angels focused. We got some people saying it may be the best episode that Jodie Whittaker's ever been in. Uh, great Doctor Who. Um, Doctor Who at its best. Uh, and they left us hanging at the end with the Doctor being turned into a weeping angel. And that was resolved very quickly. <laughs> it wasn't as big of a deal as maybe we thought. She, she, they, they don't leave it hanging too long. They, you know, the first scene in this episode is is her with uh, her hands in front of her face and as a weeping angel. But literally, the stone crumbles away from her and she's back to normal. Yeah, and and she basically has this opportunity to walk amongst a forest of weeping angels it's not a literal forest she's just surrounded by hundreds thousands of weeping angels and she she does the typical poke and prod she's blinking in their faces nothing is happening and then ultimately we find out that the entire resolution to Whitaker's doctor becoming a weeping angel is it was merely an easy way of transporting her right they 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 did it because they could ultimately. yeah i guess that was kind of the explanation they were they were doing it as a, a power play kind of mocking her they know she's afraid of them and yet they just needed to transport her to this place and i guess they were the vessel to do that it seems a little i i, I will admit i felt a little uh i felt like it was a little cheap a little cheap trick there that they they played on us at the end of the episode, kind of leading up to such a a big moment of her turning into this weeping angel, becoming something that she is afraid of, only for it to be kind of just like a little pointless thing. Like they, if they needed to get her to a place, there's a lot of different ways you can do it to to encase her in a weeping angel. Just felt like weird. <laughs> Did the payoff wasn't there. I didn't feel the payoff. I don't know. See, and I, I think that's the I think that's the kicker. Like the payoff was not was not there at all. But this this isn't the first time that we've been served what seems to be a pretty dramatic, a pretty epic cliffhanger at the end of one episode, only to have it quickly undone um in the next episode. We we had that with um once upon once upon time, right? Where the Mori and, and Yaz and uh, Vinder and it's like, oh, this is certain death. <laughs> like there's no way the doctor is going to be able to resolve this with the episode ending only to have it quickly undone. And as you pointed out, even to the point where some of the timing aspects of it, if you sit there and you thought through how things played out, really, really didn't work all that well. Um, I think what is what gets to you gets to me gets to the proverbial you with this instance is the character that she's facing, right? The weeping angels are supposed to be this daunting, this almost legendary aspect of new who, and just have it to be tossed aside as quickly as it was. 
it does leave a little bit of an unsatisfying taste in your mouth. Now, does that ruin the rest of the episode for you? Um, it doesn't for me personally, but I totally get what you're saying as far as like there, there was, there ultimately was no grand dramatic payoff for something that could have potentially been pretty awesome moving forward. Yeah. I almost expected it to be a Dr. Light episode. Maybe like we, you know, she's captured in this way or she's becoming a weeping angel and she's now separated from her companions. And there was going to be an effort to almost save the doctor, uh, which I mean, makes sense. They didn't waste a lot of time on that because obviously we're running out of time with the you know the last couple episodes here and they can't spend a lot of time with the doctor on the sidelines so it's interesting you mentioned that because i think that's even how a lot of the promotional uh material the youtube video the trailer all that stuff kind of even positioned this episode um they didn't give much away in the trailer in regards to the role the doctor played they they focused a lot on the quick blips of Yaz, of Jericho, of Dan. They showed us um, members of Unit. They showed us the Grand Serpent. We didn't really get to see the Doctor in the, the YouTube trailer. So I wholeheartedly agree. I went into this expecting Dr. Light episode. We're going to maybe get some resolution, some payoff, maybe some quick clips of the doctor, but ultimately it was going to be Dr. Light. That's not at all what happened though. Nope. Just the doctor was separated from her, her companions. And I guess that's the threat that the weeping angels did bring was that they can displace people in time and it's hard for the doctor to get back to those people. So we have now Dan and Yaz along with an honorary companion. I would give him the status of uh, Jericho <laughs> He's uh, he doesn't travel with the doctor though. He's not set, stepped foot in the TARDIS yet. Uh yeah, I guess not. I guess he's he's kind of a companion of the companions. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's an element out of time still. Um uh, but he's he's not a companion, Aaron. Right. Yeah. He's a main character. Uh, there in, you go. In, definitely in this episode and in the last. Uh and they treat him as if like he is basically functioning the way you would expect a companion to function in like the amount of screen time he gets the amount of lines he gets and you know he's as focused on in this episode as the other two are yeah absolutely and i don't hate it i actually kind of enjoyed the interactions of the three the dialogue throughout the episode Kind of the the I mean we we saw your idea of Dan being comic relief multiple times in this episode. Oh yeah. But <laughs> but even there, Jericho kind of played off of Dan pretty well in those moments as well. So uh Jericho Jericho's in the mix. Really I, I did enjoy how the three played off of each other in this episode though. Yeah, forgive me if I could have seen Graham and Ryan uh doing the exact same things. Oh as, yeah, as Dan and Jericho, like the exact I, same, you know, kind of the thing with the rope. I could have totally seen that being Graham and Ryan. There's, <laughs> um, you know what? You're not wrong. You are <laughs> spot on. I, I I didn't make that leap, um, but you could picture that pretty quickly. Yeah, and that was kind of one of the moments from one of the initial trailers that we had seen. We had seen. Oh yeah, Dan, obviously not Jericho. But we had seen Dan and Yaz kind of in this, what we thought was them, you know, kind of going into some sort of a structure, like Indiana Jones style thing. And 
it turns out to be Mexico. I was thinking like Egypt. Yep. But it turns out they're in Mexico, which uh, would imply that this is uh, some Aztec structure, probably. Yep, they they are plundering temples, if you will, to unravel a certain mystery, um, which there there was that, that dialogue as they find what they're looking for about what, whether they they should take it very um very modern day thought process in regards to how unethical it was to remove all these things from different places and put them in museums or take them elsewhere uh, but yeah they they are looking for clues it sounds like throughout 1904 where they were stranded right which and means they, that two years have passed right right and dan says that at one point that they've been doing this for two years. And um, we do get some insight into kind of what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, the doctor does leave Yaz like a video message and says, you know, there's going to be some point in time that's going to be the end of the world. There'll be some kind of battle for the for Earth. And they need to kind of f- try to figure out what that date is. I guess that's kind of what they're trying to do. And, may- and Yaz is thinking, well, Maybe this will lead us back to the doctor. Yeah. Uh, that or her primary goal is just to be the doctor, right? She wants to save all of space and time um, with with her companions. I don't know. Probably not. That's just the impression I got at times. <laughs> I guess in uh, this case, yeah, if she's there's the three of them, she is in a way playing kind of the role of the doctor, which makes sense. She's the most tenured of of the of the three. Absolutely. In, in these adventures. But they do give us a date that they've figured out. They don't really say how, but they figured out that it's December 5th. Which is interesting because the next episode will air on December 5th. Yeah, I I really appreciated that. Like, it, it's one of those things that as soon as they mentioned the date, it was like, oh, snap. Like, that is next Sunday. So they've given us a the Halloween apocalypse, which took place on halloween yep and then they gave us the basically the finale what everything is leading up to december 5th um i find that i find that very interesting very pleasing that we have those two bookends to our flux chapters well they did uh they did the same thing for november 21st episode it took place on november 21st did it really the show yeah it did so i and i don't know if that's it's specifically been called out that you know halloween episode happened on halloween december 21st episode or november 21st episode happened on november 21st and now the december 5th date has been thrown out there and the next episode is december 5th so i do i agree with you it's cool that they that attention to detail where they figured out what date these these shows were going to air and actually wrote it into the script I yeah. mean, unless it's just a ridiculous, you know, coincidence, <laughs> which I don't think is the case. Uh, that's that's next level kind of attention to detail, which I always appreciate. Absolutely. And I mean, we do have the New Year's special that's been confirmed that takes place on New Year's Day happening New Year's Day of 2022. So go. it continues on. It really gonna does. spoil us. Now we're going to expect all Doctor Who episodes to take place on the day day of airing. I don't know how that works if you're not on Earth, but for now, it's good. Well, at least some scene has to happen on that date. Yeah. Even these episodes, they're all over the place. They're, you know, they're not just in one day or time, but they do, they do mention December 5th. We don't really know. I, 
don't remember them kind of elaborating more on why that date is important. Um, and I don't think they were really found what they were looking for as far as a specific date either, you know, because through their travels, they, they kind of, I don't know, their, their travels felt a little random. Yeah. They, this episode, we jump to multiple places with them throughout the episode. So if we just focus on the three of them and their adventures, they end up, or they start in Mexico, go to Constantinople. Mm -hmm. They end up being in an ocean liner somewhere. Um, they're then, uh, <laughs> where, where, where else do they go? They go to the top of uh, a mountain in Nepal, um, the great wall of China, uh, back to an ocean liner, and then they end up in Liverpool. So they, they are just globe trotting, uh, throughout the entire episode and it, it jumps around quite a bit and they even have some aspects of time in there as jericho grows a beard dan grows some facial hair yeah um, so it's, it's an extended period of time that they're traveling um but all in 1904 yeah all in 1904 they go all over the place um interested in kind of where they're getting their their cash from yeah, I had that same thought. <laughs> I, I don't know if they're telling secrets about what happens in the future. If they're they traveling have, in but... style. They're like, you know, on these nice ocean liner. They, they, they're all dressed very nicely, you know, so they must have maybe they maybe they uh, played some horse races or something because they had some knowledge. <laughs> they, they bet on some uh, sporting events that they knew who the winner was. Right. The one thing they're traveling in style, but they always make Dan play the stowaway. They only ever bought two rooms, which I thought was interesting considering it does seem like they aren't financially hurting yet they only bought passage for two right so am i wrong that they didn't like the date thing never really materialized into anything like they they never really nailed it down they did get some information um when they went to nepal they climb up this mountain they talk to a guy and um we have to talk about this guy. I don't know. If well, you we will. We will. Or... I just I, okay. I'm focused on the date right now, but yeah, we won't. We won't skip past him because I I have a, I have some thoughts. But uh, we <laughs> he he says the thing about calling your is it or is it something about your dog? What does he say? Call, call fetch your dog. Oh, fetch your dog, which is very disrespectful to Carbonista, if, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, they keep doing the kind of dog reference, even though he's not a dog. Um, and I, I take offense for his species, but yeah, so they, they say fetch your dog, which I guess is how they realize, okay, well, we need to get Carbonista's attention, uh, but they still don't really know what they're looking for, or I guess maybe they know what they're looking for, but they haven't found it yet. Right. So, so they do nail down the date of December 5th. They don't get a specific year. And that's something that Yaz points out. Um, that they've nailed down the date. They don't have a specific year. I, to me, that's, that's where the December 5th becomes more of that hat tip to be like, okay, you know that the conclusion is coming and it's kind of setting the table that this is supposed to be some cataclysmic event that happens on December 5th. It's the end of the world, end of the universe as we know it. Um, be on the lookout of it, look out for it, try to stop it. And then as the audience, we're like, oh, December 5th the last episode of the flux it's the end of the world cataclysmic event 
Um, it's basically just a hat tip to that. Huh. So everything else was for nothing. It 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 sets the table. It yeah. sets the table. I, mean, I guess it's t- it took them two years to find the December fifth date and then find the guy in Nepal to to give them the tip on Carvanista. But I don't know. It, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But let's. I guess w- we can talk about that guy. Okay. Because I will say that was my least favorite part of this episode. <laughs> it was such a miss for me. I know they were trying to be humorous with it. To me, it was, I don't know if it was bad acting, bad writing. It just did not work. That whole scene, I didn't smile once. That's, I, uh, I'm going to fully admit, I smiled, I laughed. I got a kick out of the exchange just because like going into it, as, as soon as you see them climbing up the mountain in Nepal, as soon as Jericho says that the man is a legendary seer, which happens to be the second time that we have the idea of a seer <laughs> thrown into doctor who just within the past two episodes so seers i guess are a thing um when it comes to doctor who but you have this certain expectation of the the guru the seer on the mountain meditating and then basically just to have that thrown completely out the door and the first thing that guy guy is asking for is gossip I always I always get a chuckle when my expectations are just usurped. So I, I thought it was funny. I enjoyed his character. Um, totally understand that some people might not have enjoyed it. Uh, he was just so out there that I couldn't help but laugh. Yeah, I think that's, that's what they were going for. You know, for it to be surprising or out there and catch you off guard so you laugh. I, honestly, it didn't even catch me off guard. Like, as soon as they showed him, I was like, this guy's going to be silly. Like, it's not going to be serious. <laughs> they, the whole thing, everything with them was silly. There really wasn't a lot of serious moments. Uh, I guess when the guy invaded their cabin and they, he ended up committing suicide and they threw his body over the boat. I guess that was <laughs> maybe not so silly. But but um, it had been so much comic relief with these characters up to this point that I was f- fully expecting that this, this character was going to also be comic relief. And he... And he, and he was. These three, for the vast majority of their appearances within this episode, really did serve to lighten the moment. Like outside of these three, we're talking about, uh, we would be talking about the doctor. And again, she's facing like this huge unknown with a character that she doesn't know who it is. And they're talking about basically everything collapsing on itself. Or you're focusing on Prentice, who the Grand Serpent, and all his activities. So you have these very dark things, and these three are just injected into the story in these moments of levity. That also, I guess we also have Belle, which she in this episode also serves as a little bit of comic relief with her interactions with Carvanista. Yeah. Right. And um Yeah, we focused a lot on on the companions. Uh, I think we'll save some of the doctor stuff for the end. Okay. So maybe let's transition over to Bell. Yeah. I'm starting to think that Bell's getting more screen time than Bender. It... It's, it's interesting to me because he was the big announcement, right? Like the char- the the actor that's playing him and kind of this new character that he was part of the promotion of the of the season. And Bell wasn't at all. Like there was no fanfare around her character. 
But I feel like she's kind of stolen the show when it comes to them two. You know, he early on was a bit of a focus, but he's kind of been kind of sidelined and, and she's getting a little bit more of the spotlight. Yeah, I, I agree. It's been, it definitely started out very much focused on Vendor because, I mean, he shows up in the first episode, she does not. And then there is that very quick um, transition where they kind of shared the same amount of screen time, but now it's very much heavily in Bell's corner. Um, it's still the same, the same story of they're looking for each other. Uh, we had a moment that is the this almost cliche moment of just near missing of each other. Um, Vendor even comments on it, not realizing that it was Bell who just rushed off the scene. Um, but it 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 is focusing more on her at this point, right? And there's not a ton with her this episode, you know, or with Vendor. Uh, they both kind of. Like you said, he's he's looking for her. He misses her, you know, just barely. Uh, and then, you know, then he runs into Swarm and Azure, which that turns into some other stuff going on. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this last episode plays out. Where we end up is Belle is with Carvanista because the Lupari shield is breaking down and Belle has a Lupari ship, so... She gets sucked in to kind of fill in the gaps in the shield with her ship. And then Vendor has this, I couldn't help but think, like, very Danny Pink moment where it's like he's sucked into Passenger after facing uh, Swarm and Azure. And then he's he's gone into this, like, mainframe uh, dream land. And he's paired up with Diane. So it's like we we see these cords starting to get tied together a little bit better, um, but it just seems like there's so much story for Carvanista and Bell with what's going on with them, and then with Diane and Vinder with how they're matched up now. Right, and that's where you you start to think about all the different loose ends that need to be tied up, you know, most likely in one episode, and it's kind of like, well, you know, I kind of forgot about Di. I don't know that I care that much about Die, right? And yeah. It, it's like now they're suddenly reintroducing her, and it seems like, you know, maybe she's going to be important to the end. Maybe she's going to motivate Dan in some way because he's going to see her, need to save her. I don't know what her purpose is. But with only one episode left, they really haven't set a lot of groundwork for kind of her storyline. And now she's paired up with Vinder, and, you know, interesting dialogue between them she seems to you know she says she has a score to settle so i don't know what's been going on while she's been you know hanging out in passenger but she seems to be kind of not happy right now <laughs> you know chip on her shoulder and then um and then vendor she she know she says something about like oh finally somebody with a gun yeah how about that <laughs> which is not you know typically doctor who you know kind of being you know the doctor tends to be anti gun and we've talked before about how that goes back and forth and uh you know plenty of characters have carried guns so it's not like the first time but they you know they called that out that she was happy to see someone with a gun so that was an interesting interesting dialogue yeah i mean this is when you say interesting dialogue this is the entire well she says who are you 
And then this is a statement that you're referring to. She says, finally, someone with a gun. I'm die, by the way, from Liverpool. Like, like that really means something to Vinder to say, I'm from Liverpool, and I've got some, I've got, uh, got some scores to settle with this lot. Um, <laughs> very interesting dialogue. She's, uh, you do, are, you are left to wonder. What is her purpose? How is she, yeah, how is she <laughs> going to come into play? Like, what, what is she actually going to be, be doing? And you mentioned hanging out in passenger. I mean, literally, that that looks like what's going on. It's not like there's fire and brimstone everywhere. It looks like a very ethereal, very nice and calm setting. So she's literally just been hanging out there for a while, uh, waiting for someone else to show up. Yeah. How how is she aware of of who she has a beef with? I mean, or Azure and Swarm like visiting her occasionally? <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. Uh, and, and are there other like people they're... there? Is she just, you know, did they single her out in this moment, you know, so we can see her with Vinder? But are there other people in there too, or has she been hanging out all by herself in, in yeah. this particular passenger? Is like, yeah, exactly. Is this passenger just like Dai's personal passenger, or are <laughs> there other people floating around? Because it just so happens that as soon as Vinder shows up, Dai is like, oh, someone that someone else has shown up, and you actually have a gun. Um, yeah, I don't know. There are a lot of questions there, um, but she is swept back into the story at this point. So we we see at least that that thread has been revisited. Right. And so Swarm and Vinder, I mean, sorry, Swarm and Azure are on this, you know, random place. And Vinder confronts them. And there's people there, but not a lot, because we've seen them, you know, capture a lot of people and what we think is kind of bringing them into passenger but then there's also these people here who are standing around lights and and swarm says that they're using them for um he says that they're their playthings, but you're also our power source and then the people just disintegrate and and we've seen them before kind of like disintegrate people and then kind of almost absorb that so I guess that's just what he's referring to, that that they're just the more people that they can do this with, the more that it's powering them to kind of meet their their goal that we find out kind of later. So I was kind of confused about these particular people. Are they people from from that planet that we saw captured? Are these people that were in Passenger? Are these just other random people that they're using? I don't know. It didn't seem to kind of all line up. Yeah, there's there's no there's no explanation given. Um, it does seem like a very uh, evil Bahudore moment as they're gathering around the lights, all holding hands, um, and then they they just evaporate. They seem to be in some state of trance. They seem to be yeah. kind of in trance that they're not. It's not like these people are just wandering around talking to each other. They're none of no one's talking. They're all just staring at these lights, uh, almost like they're being stored until they they're needed. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all we get from them. They have very evil intentions. Yes. Right. So, um, I feel like anything else that we say about Swarm and Azure kind of has to do with what's going on with the Doctor. So, I want to save that, but uh, Prentice. We get a lot more information about Prentice in this episode. And, you know, he, he seemed kind of like this one-off villain villainous character in the original episode he showed up in 
the Grand Serpent, and I didn't think we were going to see him again until we saw him in the preview. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. This is one of those instances where it's like we had this additional threat <laughs> that we didn't realize was going to be injected back into the story and that it would need to get tied up as well. Um, but that is exactly who Prentice slash the Grand Serpent ended up being. Someone introduced very early on that is now getting brought back into the story. Um, everything's connected. It is all connected in Series 13. Is it, though? Is it connected? I don't see the connections in a lot of the stuff. <laughs> I see the things. I see I see a lot of things. He's a he's another element that's been injected into the storyline, and it seems to be a major part of, of what's going on, but he doesn't have any association from what we know with Swarm. He doesn't have any association with the Division. He doesn't have any association with um, who we find out is Tecteum. <laughs> Tecteum, uh, right? Like, there's no, there hasn't been a revealed connection with him. He seems to be another kind of wild card, and I'm not aware of what his overall intentions are either. And then, you know, and then why not throw unit into the mix? We, <laughs> if we need anything else. So when when Yaz is in the ocean liner and she pulls out the hologram, and she's listening to the doctor go through the doctor's spiel, the doctor basically says that whatever is going to be happening with the flux, the earth is going to be left vulnerable and it's going to become a target that um, once everything else is wiped out, there will be displaced creatures who need a home somewhere to take over. Um, there would be a battle for ownership of the earth at that point. Now, we already know that Cybermen are marching. We already know Daleks are marching. We already know the Centaurans are on the warpath. And then we have this other entity that we were introduced earlier on in the, in the series, the Grand Serpent, who was almost like this mafioso, right? Like he, he had his own organization that he was running. He had people to do his dirty work for him. He was pretty big, influential, pretty bad. He mentions, as we get introduced to his story, as he's infiltrating unit and all that stuff, that he used to have all these people to do his work for him, but now he's essentially by himself. It seems like he is one of those individual players that has watched everything else that he knows, everything he's created, torn apart by the flux. And so he's now inserting himself into the Earth's timeline, basically trying to create his own domain for from whatever is left after the flux flux has run its course so i think that's how he's connected i think that's why he's back into the story um is it a little bit extra that we didn't necessarily need i think we have a lot going on and he might not necessarily have been the most needed thing to come back into the story but i think there is a connection there and it's actually explained earlier on in the episode as his story is still unfolding Right. I get I guess I can I see what you're saying, you know, when you're explaining like maybe why he's there. My question more is like wh how is he connected to the the co more core story? Cuz like in my mind like the Daleks, the Cybermen, like they're all kind of just like they mention it. Yeah, like these different, you know, species are kind of vying for for their place now because they see this opening. But he's a, a more of a central part to the story now. And he's manipulating. I mean, he essentially is like 
part of the creation of unit. I mean, unit is a huge Doctor Who element. You can't just he this guy isn't just some random throwaway character now. So if they just explain it as oh he's just another entity looking for power and he's not connected to something else, then I would be sorely disappointed because he also apparently has a, the ability to travel in time, but that hasn't been explained as to how. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and when you have something like the Time Lords and, you know, Gallifrey involved in this, obviously, and you have um, Weeping Angels who also are kind of like time travelers, you know, he just, I feel like he's going to be more important than than we originally thought. And he's another loose end to tie up. I agree. He's going to be more important than we thought. I, I'm wondering, like, my memory's my memory's foggy as far as the last time that we saw a unit <laughs> in a Doctor Who episode. Um, the date of the last time that we see unit in this episode is 2017. I feel like we might have seen unit since 2017, but I'm not I'm not entirely sure as far as uh, Leftbridge Stewart when she shows up the last time. Yeah, I don't we've know. Never like, seen her with uh, Jodie Whittaker. Whittaker. Yeah, we um, haven't. 2017 would have been Capaldi's final season of Doctor Who, if we're talking real okay. world time. So, and she did, when she's talking to him, uh, when she's talking to Prentice in the office, and he's kind of he's now established himself as the leader of Unit. You know, over the years, she's obviously been working with him, and he's a character we've we've never seen before, but obviously has been associated to Unit. Um, she's she kind of calls him out like she's on to him and all of that. And she threatens him and says, well, do you, you don't want me to kind of bring in someone else. Right. And it sounds like she's talking about the doctor. Oh, I agree. Okay. I agree. Absolutely. And he seemed to be bothered by that threat too. And I was like, Oh, okay. Interesting. And I, I'm assuming they're talking about Capaldi at that point, because I think that's who, who would have been the active doctor at that time with her. Yeah. It was nice to see Kate Stewart back. And I really like, I liked her character in this. I liked how she, she kind of stood up to Prentice and threatened him. And, um, and now like there's still, you know, she's also a hanging thread that's left because they've now in- injected her into the story. And then they tried to kill her she survives she calls osgood and says i'm going dark so (laughs) you know so now she's going to be kind of like in the shadows and i don't know maybe she plays into the finale maybe she doesn't she's in the trailer so it looks like she's going to show up at least at some point yeah so but prentice prentice was pretty intimidating i would say in this episode i like the i i do like the actor that's playing him and he was pretty ruthless. I like how he's just like super low key and and just kills people with uh, some kind of invisible snake that appears inside of them and makes their face look all bubbly. Yeah, I'm, I'm very confused uh, to how that works. It's it's really cool looking to see. Um, definitely a little bit of a bit cringe inducing. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure how that works because Kate is able to protect herself by having a psychic, psychic cloak. 
she has a psychic something and she's totally fine. Um, a psychic yeah. manifest shield. Yeah. That's uh, I don't know if that's a Chibnall thing or if that's just something they've always been doing in Doctor Who and I just don't notice it as much, but I've really noticed this this season that kind of the um, the, the gibberish ex- explanation where they're just kind of like, they say something that doesn't make any sense, but we just kind of accept it. Like, okay, that's what's protecting <laughs> her. Or like when the Doctor, you know, had to reverse the whatever polarity and kick all the angels out by connecting the two cords you know it was just like okay and that and there's a couple more times they do that in this episode um, that they they mention a couple things that that will bring up um all right so the the meat of the episode i think is with the doctor and we we kind of skipped over all the doctor scenes because i kind of figured it'd be worth saving till the end to kind of talk through the i guess kind of big reveals that that happened, and I guess we got a little bit of Williamson stuff to talk about too. But uh, he's 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 kind of tied into it. But the Doctor is transported by the Weeping Angels. They take her to Division, which basically is like Division's headquarters, I guess. Um, and this woman that she had met previously, uh, and there's an Ood there as well. Yeah, can't say that I'm super excited to see them showing up again. Dude. Yeah, they they oh I I do not like them just because they give me the creeps. They are kind of creepy. Uh, yeah, that. they they are nightmares personified. And this fella, they don't really explain kind of why he's there, you know, or I guess maybe we do know what his purpose is, but like the fact that he's an ood, I guess, is just kind of random. It could have been any species. There's no specific reason why there's an ood doing this, other than maybe they had the costume available. <laughs> they, they they haven't made an appearance in a while, so they had to put one in there. Right. They look good in the trailer. You see an ood in the trailer, and you're like, ooh, what did the ood have to do with this? Yep. So we this is the woman who is kind of the big mystery, in my opinion you know, when they had kind of introduced her before, because she seemed to have the most knowledge about what's going on. And then they kind of left us hanging because she didn't really fully explain herself. And then obviously leads to all these theories as to who she is. But this episode, we get pretty much everything explained, I would say, from kind of who she is and what she, what role she plays in the division, all that stuff. Yeah, this is one of those threads that they, uh, tie off and then snip so we have no other questions about who this individual is no no this is they wrap that up yeah (laughs) in a very convincing way um but i thought the interior of i guess what this is you know what they're saying this is is division's headquarters it looked like a tardis you know with with a control panel and everything i i just was like oh when i first saw it i was like oh this is a tardis but it's not i don't think it is but maybe it uses some of the same technology but visually it very much reminded me of kind of the layout of a tardis yeah it has the same aesthetics right (laughs) Um, there's the the very sciencey looking interior with some organic matter and panels and all sorts of stuff everywhere um, it is a, it is a cool layout. It, it really is. Um, it's it's it is reminiscent as we would expect as we find out more about who she is. Right. 
and the doctor recognizes her. She says, like, kind of, who are you? You know, what do you have to do with the division? She says that she's she's leading division. She uh, she gives some explanation. The division began on Gallifrey as a group to ensure the safety of our galaxy. And I'm quoting her here. As our ability to travel grew and our horizons broadened, division kept pace. The number of operatives grew. And then she said they guided and shaped events. Uh, they recruited from all dimensions and species. And they are headquartered outside of the universe. So they're in the kind of this middle, in between the end of one universe and the beginning of the next, I guess, is kind of what's what's going on here. Yeah, I I don't have much more to add. That is exactly what she said. It, it causes the doctor some concern, though, right? Because the doctor's like, you've broken all the principles of the Time Lords. You can't interfere. Um, and, and really, it strikes the, the doctor as being evil, unethical, um, arrogant, that they would that the division would interfere as such. And I just want to, it's something that we talked about prior to starting to record it. I find it immensely interesting that up to this point, it's always been referred to as the division, but starting this episode, it, it's very clear that the is dropped. So it's just division. This is division. Division did this division does that division is, there is no the in referring to it. Um, it might just be a small change, but I, I just found that interesting that it was very evident that the definitive article was dropped. Right. You were also mentioning kind of the play on words where, you know, division, you know, previously in my mind, it, it kind of sounds like, a, you know, almost like a, a military type uh, designation, like the divi- a division of something. But... But now that we learn kind of where they exist in, in between universes, it's almost like they're they're in that quote unquote division, which is kind of a clever clever play on words. Yeah, they exist in the divide between universes, so they they are division. Right. She kind of explains that they're on the cusp of many universes. Here's one of the you know gibberish things that doesn't really make any sense but we kind of just accept it that the conversion plates allow them to exist in form outside of the known universe so okay (laughs) conversion plates (laughs) i didn't know i don't know what a conversion plate is but apparently it allows you to exist in your own form outside of the known universe yeah that's there's like the ood put something on the doctor and he says, do not remove your conversion plate. <laughs> and it's just like this little brooch that she now has on her person. And then it's just like, oh, conversion plates. Like that's I, I, the angels even mentioned something about conversion plates or conversion. Um, so, yeah, it's like you said, one of those things that has no real definition, but it allows them to exist between universes, a place that doesn't exist, but yet they're able to because they have the conversion plates. Right. And and so she says that as they move out of the old universe, uh, Division is moving into the next. I guess they have decided that, the, that one universe needs to end, but they're also kind of starting another one. And, you know, they, I think, 
Chibnall has once again kind of he's messing with the fabric of what Doctor Who is, but basically has now created the the like I don't know the biggest villain that can exist. Is there anything that is bigger than this? Could be. Have we jumped the shark? You know, because there, is there anything bigger or more threatening than a group of people who control the entirety of the universe? I I think I think we find out who's more dangerous than the people that control the entire fabric of the universe at the end of this episode. It's the people that that take down the people that control the very fabric of the universe that are more dangerous. Um, it is. It is interesting, right? Because, like you mentioned, you, they're Chibnall is tampering with the the foundation of this show. It's getting all mixed up. It's he stuck his finger into it and started to twirl it, and that's where we are right now with this idea of universes beyond universes, one universe coming to the end. What does that mean? Um, what are the implications if they actually go through with it? He mentions multiverses, which um that's a that's a conversation i'd love to have because i in doctor who i at least the way that it sounds i think it's different than how the mcu is approaching multiverse and multiverse in other areas where it's not just like carbon copies with differences but it's it sounds like it's totally different when it comes to doctor who anyways the the very fabric of what we know is getting tampered with right yeah and it's almost as if they're saying that they are creating a new universe. You know, when they decide when one ends and then they create the, the next one. But I was kind of figuring, like, I was kind of trying to decide, like, does that mean it's starting from scratch? Like, you know, Big Bang type thing and, like, everything still needs to evolve? Or is there already another universe that has existed and has been thriving and they just kind of insert themselves in? Um yeah, I wasn't kind of, and they, I mean, they probably leave a lot of it vague on purpose, but it just didn't feel like I really understood what that meant, that they're leaving one universe and, and, and going into the next. Yeah, and this section is like fraught with those massive potholes that throw you off as you sit and reflect on what is actually going on in this in the scene. Because on the one hand, the universe is ending, um moving into the next one on and then on the uh, on the other hand you have the flux was engineered and the doctor is a virus right like you have all these huge things that are just dropped in this interaction with this character right the doctor was a virus that was allowed into the experiment so when she escaped division she became a problem for them and I guess she got to a point where they decided to try to eliminate her. And in doing that, they they were going to end her universe and with her inside it. Yeah. And um, and end it so they could get rid of her. Seems like quite a, you know, quite a thing to do just to get rid of of this one thing. But they see her as that big of a threat. I guess against everything that they're doing, because because she kept saying if you because they erased her memory on purpose. Because they didn't want her to remember what the division does, but she was saying, she was saying, well, if you ever figured it out or remembered what division was, then you would destroy us, or you try to destroy us. 
Which is true. The doctor would. <laughs> In fact, that's what the doctor's doing. But they made a grave mistake because by removing her from the universe, because they thought originally they were trying to kill her by keeping her in the universe, and then she stood up to the flux, was able to temporarily stop it, at least protect Earth. And so then they're like, oh, she's messing with this. She might actually be able to save this universe, so we're going to take her out of it so she can't save it. But they took her right to the place that controls everything. Classic like, villain mistake. Yeah, like if they didn't want her to mess with everything, they just put her right in the heart of it. She now has the yep. access to the the actual equipment that is causing the, the flux. So... Um, yeah, it, it does seem like a pretty dumb mistake on uh, Tech to Oom's part. Yeah, because up to this point, the doctor had no idea who, the, where to find the division, right? Like she, she even says that she's looked everywhere and she couldn't track them down. And so like they pretty much would have been fairly safe by just letting the doctor go about her normal business. Um, and then they, they decide, you know what, let's help her out. Let's bring her straight to us. Um, but you mentioned you mentioned that name, and we've mentioned it already because that's the that is the big big reveal. Like we've had all these big reveals in this interaction, but the biggest reveal is that the the lady, the individual known as Osuk, and all the materials leading up to this, um, in the casting and all that, is revealed to be Tekteun, the the one from the. Um, the timeless child. She's the one that found the doctor um, when the doctor was very young. She is the original. Right. And we, and they do give a ton of explanation here, you know, cause they, they're kind of giving us the backstory of division. Now we know Tectoon is still like around and kicking and kind of running the, running the show when it comes to division. And then the doctor start. They start talking about you know how she found the doctor, and the doctor's saying, you know, you think that I was just like this person that needed rescuing, but like I could have been there for any number of reasons. You know, I could have gotten separated from who I was with, or you know, whatever. But there's she kind of saw it as this woman didn't save her, but she stole her. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing to to implant into this story because it's, I don't think you say those things unless there's going to be something later that pays off. And so now I do think that there's some, there is going to be some sort of reveal that, um, that she wasn't just some random, you know, girl that fell through this from another dimension, but there's, there's somebody that she is with or somebody that she got separated from. It brings us back to all those questions, right? Because it reintroduces us to the entire scenario that we have in The Timeless Child where she's sitting on some structure underneath a, a, a portal and she is quote-unquote rescued, she's quote-unquote stolen, like whatever whatever story ends up being true. But the way that they go about expounding on it, it does... There, there's a lot of questions, right? Who, what is really going on there? Um, what, what, what's happening? I think the biggest, not the biggest thing, but I think one interesting part of this is the doctor flat out asks, like, is everything the master told me true? And it's confirmed. Yeah. The master was telling the truth at the end of series 12 when he gave the doctor inside information on her backstory. 
So, so Tecteun basically tells the Ood, she says she's going to go, She does, I forget where she says she's going, but she's like, you know, watch, you guard the doctor, right? So apparently she trusts this Ood a lot. And so it leaves the doctor alone with the Ood, and the doctor basically sees her moment here, because the Ood is the one that's controlling whatever that is causing the flux, and, you know, kind of crushing the end of the universe. And so the doctor starts to like negotiate with the Ood and saying, oh, you have, you know, don't you have people that are on, you know, in that universe that you're going to, you're going to allow this to happen. They're all going to die. Uh, the Ood doesn't seem to be easily convinced and kind of like very robotic, but I guess the doctor does ultimately convince the Ood to show her a map of like kind of the current universe. And you see... You see it kind of projected, but the doctor's like, this doesn't look right. Everything looks smaller. And so you find out that essentially, like, the universe has been compressed. And the Earth is the central point that everything's compressing to. And I guess the whole plan is that, like, the Earth will be the final kind of, like, thing that's surviving. And that'll be kind of the, the culmination of this destruction event is going to end with the Earth which is like, you know, it's kind of a personal slap in the face to the doctor, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the the planet that she loves the most. Uh, that's where all her friends still are. Um, yeah, it, it, is, it is one of those moments where the doctor's looking for a solution. The Ood at first puts up slight resistance and then for one reason or another ends up giving giving her everything that she needs. But as this is happening, she's hearing these noises, these whispers, um, and then she notices oh, yeah. notices something. I'm not ready for that yet. Okay, okay. She does say to the Ood, um, she has a solution for how she can save this, right? She <laughs> says that the, the universe is being compressed, and the Ood says it's all designed to culminate at Earth. And then she says, what's been compressed can be decompressed, uncompressed. Those transport pads, this power source, reversing the polarity of the con conversion plates. I can stop this and get get out of here before she kills me. You know, it's like, okay, she has this solution, I guess, that, you know, because there's transport pads and a power source and reversing the polarity of the conversion <laughs> plates, like, it's gobbledygook. You know, it doesn't mean anything, but, you know... Well, you were saying earlier, like, you kind of hope that this doesn't end in a, you know, think happy thoughts. That's like Moffat style. I'm starting to think, you know, this <laughs> Chibnall style is just, she figures out an explanation that doesn't make sense. You know, there's no, the way that she's going to end up saving the universe isn't, isn't anything that's going to make logical sense. It's just going to happen. And they're going to throw some words at it. Do you think do you think that she basically just laid out the recipe for the resolution to the entire storyline? I mean, that seems to be her solution to 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 decompress the compression. So it, that's I think if they if they do end up saving the universe, which I think they will, that's what that's what's going to happen. She's going to decompress it. <laughs> and for the second time, by reversing the polarity of something, she'll be able to uh, get herself out of a, a situation in this series. Because there's been so much destruction, right? You know, there 
we've got to the point where Earth seems to be, you know, other than these like little colonies, it seems of survivors, it seems like Earth is the only place that's kind of been protected. And the doctor's not going to just save the Earth. You know, you're going to have a universe where only the Earth exists. Right. I, I you're you're absolutely right. Like the the idea of it's just been compressed doesn't quite jive with the fact that there's half a moon, three quarters of a planet. Like the what, what was the name of that planet that we that we visited? Pisano. The the fact that Pisano we saw it like literally a quarter of a planet floating in space. That's not compressed. That's that's hacked into quarters. Um it, will will uncompression decompression solve the issues here? It sounds too simple, and that's where it's kind of like where we talk about sticking the landing. And depending on how what type of person you are and what you'll accept, for me that would be an unsatisfying ending. I think they've already got to the point where there won't be a, a extremely satisfying ending for me because there's always there's already been too much destruction that if she's able to just kind of fix it and reset it that's going to seem too easy, you know, just hit a reset button because she reversed the polarity, you know, that doesn't seem like the doctor, uh, I don't know. It's just not, it's not something where she kind of outsmarted or figured something out. It's, it just feels cheap. I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair, but no, I don't think you're being unfair because this is like, this is, that would be a super easy, solution it's not the pandorica solution right it's not the waiting for thousands of years in a box solution like this is literally take your sonic and reverse the polarity of something and then everything's made better it would be unsatisfying i guess i'm left to wonder and and we don't need to get into this um it's just something that i'm probably going to be thinking about until this very next episode uh comes about is what would be a satisfying conclusion. Like what would have to happen for me to feel like they've stuck the landing? Right. I, for me, I was, I was kind of hoping for some more timey wiminess and that there would be some kind of solution that the doctor could figure out that, you know, by something that's happening with the companions in 1804, they can place something that the doctor will then take advantage of later on. I don't know. And maybe that's still where they're going with it. But I do feel like that they've they've gotten to the point where there's been so much destruction that they're either going to go one of two ways. The doctor's going to reset, quote unquote, reset the universe and fix everything. And with only one episode left, it's got to have to be a pretty easy solution. Or they do just say, well, we only could save Earth because everything else was destroyed. So now Earth is going to move into this new universe and it's like a you know a reset for the rest of the universe, but Earth still survives. That's in my mind. That's there. The, that's the two options at this point. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that just seems like where it's going. Now my mind is jumping all over the place because you mentioned reboot the universe, and it's like didn't Matt Smith's Doctor do that? Yes. Didn't Max Smith, when the universe was collapsing, just reboot the universe? Yes, because because Amy remembered him or whatever, yeah, you know. Like I don't know. Like yeah, I'm sp- I'm going purely from memory of episodes I haven't seen in a really long time, so I could be missing some of the the actual details. But I 
I do remember that there was a kind of a universe reset because like we said, you know, Moffat had, you know, think happy thoughts type thing, you know. So we're 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 headed that direction. <laughs> huh. There's just so much unknown at this point. So I'll be so curious to see how they wrap it up because then like you were kind of going toward the whispering and the thing she finds. Which is, yes. I'm not going to steal she, it from you, which is... She she finds a fob watch, a Gallifreyan device for storing memories. Yes, and we find out that the memories that are stored are the memories that were stolen from her. Or at least that's Me- what she's being told. Memories and identities. That for whatever reason we're being held in a weeping angel for a while. And then yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that was their way of tying in the, the why the weeping angels were important, but that... Yeah, the, I guess that fugitive angel uh, was the one that was holding the memories and then they transferred it into the watch. So, but yeah, so now we know that her memories do exist. It's now being used as a negotiating tactic with Tectoon because she's saying, come back to Division, you know, work with us. Uh, there's so many things we can discover in this new universe. We'll give you your memories back. And, you know, thinking that that's going to be tempting to the doctor. Uh, to be able to to get that information. And you... it's not. <laughs> well, it's true. The doctor's quickly like, oh, I'm not going to I'm not going to fall for that. Uh, but but Tectoon does say, well, what if I what if I allow your friends to live? You know, what if I allow Earth to live and in, in turn, meaning your friends to live? That's where I'm kind of thinking this you know the scenarios that i threw out there yeah is there is a possibility that the doctor is able to no you know what i'm i'm going back on that i don't think that's a scenario i don't think they're only going to save the earth because that would not the doctor has already said that's not enough for her you know she needs to save everyone she needs to save the universe that is you know is being destroyed so i don't think that would i don't think they're going that direction i think that she's going to save the universe yeah, I don't think it would be true to the the character of the doctor to settle for a half solution when she thinks a full solution is still possible. Do you think there's anything more to the fob watch other I than don't, just holding her memories? I don't. I'm okay. I think I think the only thing I'm wondering about the fob watch is if the doctor will actually gain access to it, I have a sneak sneaking suspicion that it's going to be lost. And then there's going to be other adventures, other stories of her slowly gathering those memories and identities other ways. So you want to hear a, a crazy theory that's probably not going to be true, but I just kind of think it's fun. Does it involve the master? No. Okay. Then it, go does, for it, it does involve another time lord. Uh, this is just me being stupid, so don't. This isn't a legit. Like I'm not <laughs> legit <laughs> uh, predicting that this is going to happen. But what if the because the, the fob watch in the past or these type of items with with Gallifreyans has always been, you know, there's a doctor or a Gallifreyan who's not aware that they're not, or that they are, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's been it's happened a few times in Doctor Who most recently with the fugitive doctor yeah so what if not only this contains her memories but it also reveals a doctor that we've been that's already been in the show 
that we're not aware of um, because it's a previous entity of the doctor, an unknown that she's not aware of version of her uh, from before. And so when her memories are revealed, it's also going to wake this person up and she's going to be, or this person is going to realize, oh, I am, I am the doctor, but it's a previous version of, of the doctor that we know. Do, do you have a thought of who that would be? Jericho. Oh, snap. <laughs> oh, oh, dang. What so, if? That would be fun. And then you could even take it a step further and say that they've already revealed who the next doctor is because then they they move on to, to have that be the main character. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think any of it's going to happen. But I just thought it kind of, when we were thinking about the fob watch and what it usually means, it automatically made me go to that headspace of like, well, who could be a who could be a Gallifreyan that we're not aware of, and he just kind of seems to fit the bill. So, so what I like about that crazy out of the blue theory, um, and it would be fun to give it a little bit more legs, would be like that would solve the issue of how um, Dan and Yaz get returned to their return to their time, right? Like. Ultimately, you could have Whitaker's doctor go out with a bang, which isn't going to happen because we know other things uh, that are coming down the pike. And then Jericho become the doctor, rescuing both Yaz and Dan um, from their <laughs> their 1904 time. So my hairball theory, um, hairbrain theory, is that the Fab Watch is not the doctors for the sole reason that you mentioned in regards to typically they store the memories of someone that doesn't realize they're a Time Lord. Um what it's actually going to be is the memories and the identity of Swarm. Swarm is a Time Lord, and that Bob Watch is going to get opened and resolve everything with Swarm and Azure. Hmm. Yeah, I know we had talked before about Swarm and Azure maybe having some roots of Gallifrey, or maybe he is a, an unknown Time Lord. I'm I'm getting further away from that thought process because I feel like they've been established, you know, especially with kind of the powers that they've shown. And their like obsession with like we are time, um, I don't think that they're. I don't think he's a time lord. But yeah, we'll see. No, it, I it, again, it's along the lines of you saying Jericho is a time lord. I'm not right. saying that yeah, Swarm and Azure are, but we're we're throwing the uh, the off the wall theories out there right now. Yeah, we're we're gonna get something that sticks. Yeah, so or or nothing at all. That's more likely. So I guess it kind of, I'm trying to think of like where it goes from here. She's trying to convince him, or she's trying to convince the doctor to, to become part of the division again. The doctor essentially refuses. And then, like, where does Swarm come in? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much the transition is we're left to be like, whoa, where did this come from? Because out of the blue swarm and azure show up because they have used their power packs <laughs> their batteries to build a psychic bridge with the doctor yeah okay yeah so i found it in my notes so she does tell tectoon like not interested and she specifically tells her she's gonna save her friends yep. she's gonna save the universe and she's gonna destroy division so she's got three she's got a three-point mission now <laughs> And then she says, it's personal now. So, you know, when the doctor, like, kind of throws down the gauntlet like that, you're just, 
you kind of have to put all your money on her, right? Like she's going to save the universe. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and she says it's personal now. And then, like you said, Swarm shows up and he has built this, this psych, psychotemporal bridge with the, the energy from the harvested people. And I guess that's kind of explains why they were kind of gathering all these people. Um, cause we had said before, like, what's the point? Like, why are they holding them hostage? What are they? Well, now we know they were using their psychic energy to create a bridge between them and the doctor. And then the doctor now being in this, uh, kind of space in between universes is exactly where they want to be. Cause yep. that's where they've been trying to get to, you know, they don't want to just, uh, do whatever they're doing in one universe they want to be able to do it in all these universes so now they're in a, a place where they have access um and then they you know they also want to exact their revenge revenge on division which you know the doctor has allowed them to kind of do that too by by letting them bridge with her now how exactly a psychic temporal bridge works between a time lord and, and them once again who knows, but, uh, we just kind of accept that it worked and they got there. Yeah. And I mean, they, they've done it earlier, right? Like swarm has made this connection previously with the doctor, which is kind of interesting because we know that swarm is doing it earlier in the episode when he was doing it in previous episodes, the doctor was hearing weird whispers and everything like that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm wondering, I'm wondering if the fob watch is a misdirect, if we're led to believe that she's hearing the whispers of the fob watch, when in reality, the whispers that she's hearing and the conversations she's hearing are a result of Swarm once again building that psychotemporal bridge with the doctor in those moments. And when they, when she's hearing the whispering, she also sees that like, decrepit house again yeah right the same things that she was seeing before so we don't know what that means uh i feel like the fob watch wouldn't be they're not going to use it as a misdirect maybe in this instance like the whispering might not necessarily have to do with the fob watch but i i think the fob watch will will kind of play into something that's going to happen next episode but but yeah the thing that's kind of shocking is when swarm shows up and he's talking to Tectoon, he you know he just he's he does what swarm does he he dispatches of her <laughs> with very quickly yeah he just touches her and and like it's got in the doctor's it's like no like she tries to interject however she can in the moment but you know this is a character who holds a lot of of the answers for the doctor and doctor hasn't really fully gotten everything she needs from her. And, um, also someone who, you know, in a previous life or lives played kind of like a motherly figure to her. So it is, it is a bit of a loss for the doctor, I guess, but not the same way. Maybe, you know, it would be if it was somebody she actually cared about. Yeah. It's also, it's also fairly up to this point seems to be a fairly important character, right? Like she is the, uh, I don't, I don't know how to describe her, but it's like a major character. And then to have her dispatched very quickly, it is, it it, it gives you pause. Um, 
But going back to what you said about the doctor's statement, like the listen to me, I'm going to save my friends, I'm going to save the universe, throwing down the gauntlet, and then just to have the swarm's single response is no. It's like usually at a doctor moment like that, you're like all hyped. And it's like, oh, dang, here we go. And then Swarm just immediately puts a stop to it, um, which is which is an interesting character interaction between the two of them. Right. And they did have a little moment where he says to her, you released me, now I release you. And that's when he touches her face and then she disintegrates. And he turns and says to the doctor, now, now doctor, you. And then it's like he's going to do the same thing to her. But in that quick in-between, after he kills Tectum and he's about to turn to the doctor, they show the doctor look at the fob watch. Yeah. And it, she kind of they kind of zoom in on it. They, they really focused in on that moment, which makes me think that whatever is going to happen next, you know, the doctor has already kind of like in her head started to plan like how to get out of this like she does. And maybe she does. Maybe she opens the fob watch and just kind of sees what happens, <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> what kind of chaos it causes or, or, or who it brings awareness to, or, you know, we don't know. So can the, if you open the fob watch and the person that owns it is not in the same room, will it still wake them up? Is Jer- <laughs> can it go across time? Is, if it's Jericho, can it go all the way to 18 or 1904? Uh, we'll see, because I do think that there's going to be, I think it's going to play a major part in, kind of the resolution of this of this story is um you know what what's going on with that fob watch yeah i i agree i agree i think the only thing left unturned is um the appearance of williamson (laughs) we have we've left left the best for last we've left the best appearance for last he shows up on the boat first yes he does wandering uh, through the door from the hallway and then they're kind of like we need to follow this guy <laughs> dan is like we need to follow this guy because he's like wait a second i ran into you in some random tunnel somewhere and dan knows i guess dan knows his historical importance because of, i guess from being from liverpool he knows about the williamson tunnels and he's starting to put it together in his head that this guy is important and that they need to f- and that's where they need to go right so they go to liverpool um, in this time period, in in 1904, and try to track this guy down. And they go they go to the tunnels. They're searching the tunnels, and they find him. And uh, he has a he <laughs> he has some funny interactions with them in general. Uh, I like the part where Dan's like, "Oh, are you a ghost? Like, I need to check to see if you're a ghost." <laughs> and the guy like smacks him in the face, and he was like. <laughs> I don't remember the exact quote, but it was like, was that very ghostly, sir, or something like that? Did you feel it? <laughs> that made me laugh. I'm a big fan of this guy, uh, Williamson. He's funny. He's funny, and the the guy that portrays him does an incredible job. Like, you truly believe that this guy is at his wit's end, wandering around these tunnels, popping in and out of random times, just purely based on the tunnels that he's walking through. Okay, what is it? Oh yeah, so he's I wanna get I wanna find the quote when he he talks to um Yaz. To Yaz. Oh he says right, they, so they, they've been searching the tunnels for six and a half hours. Yeah. Uh and then he smacks him in the face. Oh yeah, so he says so she she bumps into him 
And then she says, we believe the fabric of space and time is under attack, but we are not sure when, where, and who from, and we need to find others who can help us stop it happening. <laughs> In his reaction, <laughs> his, finally, finally, I have so much to show you in so little time. Like that whole interaction is like what all of the, all the appearances of him and not really knowing who he is, you know, or his importance to the story kind of all culminates to this interaction where he's just been waiting for someone to figure it out. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. And he, he did a good job. Like the actor did such a good job of showing that kind of relief of like, okay, I'm not just talking to random people that have no idea what's going on. Nobody believes me or nobody understands what I'm talking about. Like this is a person who has an understanding and now I can reveal more. I can show them, you know, what, what's been going on here. Yeah, because the statement by Yaz, like the very concept of the fabric of space and time and then Earth being under attack, like you say that to anybody, let alone someone from the 1860s, and you don't expect the response. But this guy, as he says, has been at his wit's end. Like he feels like he is the only one that has seen the future coming and is trying to figure things out. And he finally has three other people <laughs> that he can be like, okay, check these weird doors out. Um, because that's exactly what he shows them. He shows them all these random doors uh, that he's explored. And ultimately at the end of each door, there is, or inside of each door, there's something wicked <laughs> this way comes. Yes. Uh, he takes them to kind of like a, a place in the tunnels where, like you said, there's all these different doors. And he says, this is where, this is where I have endeavored to make sense of it all. This chamber is the heart of my excavation project. I have attempted to build defenses here for humanity against the destruction to come. Did you catch, like, did you pause on any of the doors? Yeah. I, it's the death, rays of death never open. He has some great labels. Yes. Yeah, he has. Um, I tried to. I, there were four distinct doors that they kind of showed. Some kind of went by really quick. But the one, and I was kind of having, I was trying to decipher what they said. Some of the, the text was hard to read. But the one, I think it says viscous transparent webbing for miles. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like sketches of like shadowy figures with like almost like a sword like kind of weapon. Um, I think he has like a note on there that's like they don't have legs, <laughs> but the outlines of them kind of look like Cybermen. So it's interesting. Um, I don't know if they just didn't think anyone would look that closely, and so none of it means anything, or it could all mean everything. Who knows? But I, I thought it was interesting. The viscous, transparent webbing for miles. <laughs> that would be pretty disturbing to find, I guess, when you open a door. Yeah, it, it's almost like that one spider lady from Donna Noble's first episode. Right, or any other of the spider-like creatures they've come across. Oh, uh, yeah. the um, And then one of the doors just said watery ocean with three exclamation points. <laughs> uh, the other one said endless cities of steel, fire bolts. And there's a, a sketch of an Aztec structure. And then the doorway number nine was the one that he said to not go to because it had death rays. Rays of death. Yes. Never open. Uh, so, yeah. And he said, I guess, ever since um, Halloween, things had changed. You know, some of the doors had changed and um, got to be a little bit more dangerous. Yeah. 
and that's where we get like the one of the doors there's some pounding on one of the doors we also it, it's also happening at the same time that back to bell and carbonista where they're on the ship and they also have uh, someone's boarding the ship and then it's kind of revealed that the santarans have made a deal with with the grand serpent and uh they're they're coming they're coming yep. to I mean, I kind of thought the Santarans had run their course in this, but I guess they're back with a vengeance. Yep, Santarha. Yeah, so we're kind of in a place now where it's just so much. There's so yeah. much going on, you know, with the Santarans showing back up, the Grand Serpent, we don't really know what his deal is. We now have Tectoon, who's been disintegrated. Swarm seems to be the actual big villain of the story, maybe. Um... And there's a fob watch that we don't really know how or what's going to happen with that. And I don't know. There's just a lot. <laughs> and Bell and Vinder and maybe they're the doctor's parents. That seems to be actually starting to make more sense. <laughs> I don't know. It's just <laughs> I, I feel like I need to apologize to anyone who's listened to this episode because I feel like at least I personally have been all over the place on this one. Uh, because I feel like the episode's kind of all over the place. It's it's kind of hard to to track, and um, I really do hope they they can kind of wrap some of this stuff up in the final episode to make it make a little bit more sense for me. Yeah, I feel like there's just so many things that are going on, so many things that are said in passing that that we could potentially spend a lot of time talking about we're really forced to pick and choose with these episodes, what we, what we want to discuss. Like we could spend so much more time talking about uh, Prentice and the grand serpent and his infiltration of unit and the snake tattoos that show up towards the end and all sorts of other stuff. Um, but there is just so much to unpack. I think the one thing that I'm walking away from this episode with is that we now know where all the pieces are, right? Like we know where Swarm and Azure are. We know where the Doctor is. We know where the Companions are. We know where Jericho is. We know where Prentice is. We know where Bell and Vendor and Die and Carvanista, like all the characters, we know where they are and who they're with. Um, I except don't... for Kate, uh, because she went dark. <laughs> except for Kate, because we don't she know went where dark. she is. But we know that she's somewhere dark. Um, that's, I mean, there's, we know all, okay, so we know all the characters that seem like they'll come into play. We know where they are. And we know we just have one, possibly 50 minute episode left to finally tie everything up. Um, very interesting. There's a long list of, of characters and elements and, you know, everything that they need to kind of wrap up. So I, I will say this is the first episode of this, of this season that I kind of left it a little, not that I was underwhelmed because I was overwhelmed <laughs> by a lot of it, but I, I really left this episode kind of wondering where it's all going and if it's going to lead to a satisfa satisfactory conclusion. I hadn't really had that fear up until now. Uh, just because of all the things that they introduced into this episode and didn't seem to. I mean, they, they, some of the elements were brought together. You know, Carvanista and Bell are now together. Okay, so now Bell has, has finally 
you know, linked up with someone. Um, but, you know, we kind of just went down a list of, of the things that are still hanging, but we didn't even talk about a lot of things that are still hanging, you know, yeah. we still have die that we don't really know what's going on with her or, you know, you know, how Vinder and die are going to get out of passenger, you know, like there's just a lot that they, that still needs to be done. And I have a hard time believing that they're going <laughs> to, it's going to make a, a whole lot of sense in the end. And I, okay. So I, for me personally, it's important for me to step back and be like, okay, this episode was really solid. I, I enjoyed this episode immensely. The only thing that detracts away from this episode, in my opinion, is knowing that we only have one episode that follows this. If like, if we were in the middle of a nine, 10 episode series and this was episode number five, it'd be like, dang, this is another good one. I can't wait to see what comes next. This episode was great. It's just I'm left wondering what the heck happens next and how can it all happen in one episode. So the fact that we only have one episode left kind of detracts from this episode just a little bit. True. That's that's a good point. In a vacuum, if this was just another episode, then, yeah, it, it was a pretty good episode. But, yeah, with that knowledge of there being one more, it, it kind of puts into question, you know, especially when you're thinking about time savings on all the different scenes in this episode and you're like, Oh man, they could have cut out that whole scene with that guy from Nepal. And, uh, <laughs> I know. Right. Because all that leads to is them writing a message to Carvanista and Carvanista being like, I can't time travel. You idiots. Like, or how does I can't he even do anything. See that? I know. Right. Like that was my big question. How in the world can he not time travel, but he can see back into 1904 and like his ship just picked up on it as soon as they, you know, cause if they had left that in 1904, but then it's suddenly appearing on his screen in that moment. Oh, that might that might actually be it. Like it's it took just that stayed long. there from 1904 <laughs> to 2021. It took that long for his ship to decipher the message and be like, "Oh wait, there's a there's a message for you out here um, <laughs> by the Great Wall." You, you know, I don't know. I <laughs> it would have somebody would have cleaned that up before then, right? You you would you would think so. What At least the, the trees would have grown back. Or what was the like, why did they have to go all the way to the Great Wall of China for that? Other than just having I, I think an, it... an iconic, you know, place, I guess, in Doctor Who. But they were in Nepal. Why, why couldn't they just go to the mountainside in Nepal and write it? Yeah, the only thing that, like, hit me was the whole... The Great Wall of China is the one man-made structure that you can see from space. Um, so if I you're right think... next to it, <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. somebody's going to look at it from space. <laughs> If you use uh, bright white paint next to the Great Wall of China, it's going to be noticeable. The amount of paint you would have to drag through the the wilderness of China to get to that, <laughs> you know, to be able to paint that that whole phrase, you know, <laughs> that would. Yep. I don't think they could have carried all that, but. All right. Well, my brain's fried. How about you? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's there's so. So many things that happened in this episode. So many different threads. So many different threads. I'm ready for bed. Yeah, we'll, we'll wrap this one up, and uh, I'm looking forward to Sunday to see to see how. I, I feel like no matter what the episode is like on Sunday, I'm gonna have to watch it like two or three times probably before we review it, just to make sure I have a full understanding of everything. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Well, um, thank you for listening. 
Uh, thank you for those of you who are newer listeners or have have recently discovered us uh, or left us reviews on um, you know iTunes or wherever you listen to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, we actually got a really nice email. Yeah, so I wanted to give a shout out to Kristen who sent us a really nice email um, that she'd been listening to the show and uh, that she, we actually po- popped up on her her like Spotify year-end memories because she had listened to the podcast. Um, but we really appreciate that email and thanks for reaching out to us, Kristen. And on that note, until next time. It's never too late. I'm very good at pulling rabbits out of packs. Did that work? Are you there? What is it? Are we done? What does it even say after the dude says, uh, I have no rabbits. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor.